You're listening to the Foundations for Opportunity podcast, where we believe that regardless of who you are, where you come from, or what your story is, everyone should have an equal opportunity to succeed in sport. I'm your host, Lala, and this is our first roundtable. I'm joined with... Yo, boy, Jonas. And this is Michael Mayers, baby. Thank you guys for being here. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So we want to explain to you guys what this roundtable is all about. This is a great opportunity for us to showcase who we are a little bit. We're obviously doing interviews with the uh, with the other elements that we're doing weekly. So this is our bi-weekly kind of uh, uh, a, way, a way for us to look back at some of the interviews that you guys have heard off of our podcast and a great opportunity for us to uh, showcase who we are as a team. Uh, we're going to have a, a sweet little segment coming up later with Alex Pimentel, who's also here with us. He's our other executive producer. How are you doing today, Alex? I'm so happy to be actually on audio, actually talking podcast. Like it's it's so different being behind the scenes. Right. Yeah, you've been antsy in the back. Of course. But now actually getting my voice, like being able to, to talk and having my voice heard. Exactly. Uh, you guys do a great job anyway, so I, I wouldn't want to want to mess you guys up. So he's going to be sharing his sports story. But before we get into that, we're going to be uh, doing a few different things with our recap uh, looking back at uh, the past, uh, in this case, the Theo Fleury interview that you guys have heard about. Um, but first, I also want to introduce our lovely, lovely tech producer, Mr. Graham Thompson. How are you doing today, Graham? Graham! Oh, how's it going? How's it going, man? <laughs> Giving himself yeah. some horns there, taking some liberties. <laughs> the show wouldn't be what it is without Graham. Well, he's Fox. definitely the brains behind the operation here. Um, so let's, without further ado, let's get right into this recap, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. All right, awesome. So like when we sat down with Theo last week, we had an awesome opportunity for him to share a little bit about his life. And uh, it's obviously this is a great opportunity for all of us to unpack what he was talking mm-hmm. about surrounding mental health, uh, trauma, and dealing with it and overcoming a lot of addictions that he had in his life. What were some of your main wa- uh, takeaways from, so- from that podcast? I really thought the fact that he kept referencing the way he surrendered to his addictions was really important because... He kept saying he did go through the NHL program, substance abuse program to get help. But he kept saying you can't help someone that doesn't want to be helped. And that's why those two programs didn't work for him. And he ended up doing it on his own. It was one night that he talked about if you listen to our podcast. And I think that was so important. And then he talked about mental health. And I always we all know there's a stigma around men and mental health and depression and anxiety. You guys aren't allowed society shows that you aren't allowed to show those emotions. And that has roots of toxic masculinity laden all over it. Uh, Jonas, what were some of your uh, takeaways? I guess, like, sort of onto what Lala was talking about. I think just the fact that, like, he was in denial for so long and then he finally accepted. He goes, okay, I I have a serious problem. And just for me and my own family and my future, like, I need to fix that right away. I think the fact that he said, like, just talked about unpacking the, the trauma that he faced and sort of, like, telling it through his book to me was so key because I think many times we're afraid to tell our stories because we don't feel many people are going to relate to us. But the fact is that everybody has their struggles and many times they're going through the same struggles as you are. So the fact that he was able to come out with this book and and sort of tell people about the struggles in his life throughout his NHL career and, and afterwards and then getting that response from from the people that read his book and saying, me too, me too. I thought that was so powerful. And I, it really shows how important it is to tell your story mm-hmm. and how important it is for for other people to hear your story. So I thought that was that was amazing. I just I just loved how raw and real and genuine he was. You know, the one clip we have up on YouTube now where uh, the first clip I think we posted where uh, Jonas asked him the question. He said, well, I knew if I didn't change, I was going to die. 
And that's just scary to think about and, and to see what he lived through. And, you know, we're talking about like foundations for opportunity. He was going through all that and yet he still wanted to go back to play hockey. That's a big barrier to opportunity going right. back to, you know, like wanting to play the sport when you're going through all these things you're going through, like especially from a young age yeah. all, all the way up to, to dealing with struggles. And he said he's battling, you know, it's a battle every day and it, it is what it is. And and he fights and he he's it was really inspirational. I really do. I have to agree. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, like I think he really touched on a lot of things that no matter how old or young you are, you could everyone deals with mental health to a lesser to a lesser or a higher degree than others. One thing that I've talked to a lot of people that maybe have gone to CAMH, which is a place you can get help here, the Center Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto. Uh, one, I have a couple of close friends that you know go there for various reasons, different types of things they've been diagnosed with, and one thing they notice is like one thing they've all articulated to me, I should say, is that you just you don't learn to escape the struggle. You just learn to live with it better. You you struggle better each day in a way. And I think it's really important for us to be able to have someone like him who has a huge platform in a way, be able to talk about and unpack something that has affected yeah. so many millions of people across the world. And so many people that you might not even realize how many of your own family members might be going through their own struggle that aren't even telling you about it. And I think it's really important for us to be able to uh, become more tolerant of of other people's differences by exposing ourselves and understanding to a deeper degree how mental health affects people on a day to day. Honestly, the thing with mental health is that if you don't like if you don't talk about it, like Theo, Theo talked a lot about, right. like you know you gotta be able to talk about it. It's, that's how people are gonna know, and that's the only way we're gonna we're gonna end the stigma. It's hard for you to understand what someone else is going through, even after they talk about it. If you don't go through it, you have no idea what they're going through. And then they can explain it to you. You can still be like, okay, but can you just, you know, can you just feel better? But that's just not the reality of it. You just don't understand. So mm -hmm. it's hard for people to not understand that. And and when Theo talks about, you know, we just got to keep having that conversation. And you guys ask, like, you know, how do we continue to, to have this conversation? He just says, you know, it starts with conversations like this and, you know, and more. When he does his speaking events and... It's just, we gotta just keep talking about it. Conversation is free. And, and I was gonna say, we you, you touched on the idea of like toxic masculinity. Yeah. And in hockey, that's, and football too. Big these time. two sports, it's huge because in hockey, a lot of these players will get concussed. They will have serious injuries, but mm. it's, it's sort of hockey culture for them to have to stay in. And because of that, I think that sort of stems outside of the sport itself. And, and because of that, I think the reality is a lot of them don't feel comfortable talking because they feel as though they have to maintain this sort of, I guess, high masculinity and if they go anywhere below that line they're regarded as weak or, or or like lesser than any other i also wanted to backpack off of what alex said speaking on mental health helps those who maybe don't understand why they feel the way they do right and it's that like too. oh wait i felt that way once that's the, that's the and thing. this is how you got better maybe i can take these routes too and you kept saying when with his book, with Theo's book, you know, people can read it and say me too. That's actually an experience he offers. He has a 60 minute presentation where he just talks. It's an uplifting talk about hope. And it's a reminder that we're never alone in our struggles. We all face adversity. And he talks about that. And it's literally called me too. We all go through it. And he wants to help people. And I think that's how we can all better ourselves. Like Alex, you said, having that conversation. He wants to have this conversation all the time. The weight of mental health and battling that it, it, on your shoulders, when you think you're in your mind, like, of course, we all live our own subjective truths, right? So if you don't talk to people and 
that may have gone through the same thing as you or may not. At the end of the day, like that conversation and being honest, making yourself vulnerable is difficult. But oftentimes doing what's right isn't what's easy. And I think it's really important for us to be able to unpack things like that and have conversations because when you realize you're not alone, all of a sudden it's like, so you're a support system and you're a support system. And the only way to discover those things is to be honest with yourself and with those that may comprise your world. Not saying to walk the streets and tell everybody, but there are people in your safe space, in your inner circle that you'd be surprised you can use as a resource, as a listening ear, you know? And those are the type of people that you need to have in your life. Make sure you have that supporting cast where you feel like you're comfortable with opening yourself up to people. So if you feel like you, you could have a best friend, for example, this has happened for me. Uh, you could have a best friend where it's like that topic of conversation might not be appropriate. Mm -hmm. Like that might not be the best person to go as a use as a resource to talk to. But there's other people that where, you know, your, your paths might cross, you know, interchangeably and, and, and sporadically, I should say. And yet those are the type of people where it's like I could I have so many friends where it's like I haven't talked to you for a year. But then when we talk, it's like I saw you yesterday yeah, and now we're up. catching up and we're talking to each other about how we're feeling and where we're at. And that conversation, you might have a three hour conversation with someone you haven't talked to a, in a year, as opposed to talking to that same person you chill with every day for six hours. And there's different people that can play different roles in our lives. And when we talk about this in relation to sport, I know when we brought it up to Theo, he said this is a society issue, not a sport issue. 100% agree with him. But what do we feel like sport needs to do? to create opportunities for people that are, are, are going through this, are battling through this, um, who might not want to get out of bed and, and go try to pursue their career in sports, you know, even though as talented as they may be. Well, I think the NHL did a great job in terms of uh, helping Theo the way that they helped Theo. Agreed. Uh, they had a, a trusted person that was close to him, a friend of his, be able to be his counsel and help him through that addiction that he was going through when he was dismissed from the league in 2003. And like that was huge in terms of it took two years for him to turn the corner but that person was in his corner the entire time. And I think it's really important to understand that like someone's, this isn't an overnight issue. This is a daily on the daily issue. And I love what the league did in terms of supplying him with a, with a, a safe space, a person that he could go to. And I think it needs to be rampant across all leagues. Each individual team, each individual organization needs to have mental health things in place, uh, whether it be a class they can go to or they can book it with a, with a, with a therapist that's hired by the team or just different things where they can offer outlets that are, may not be readily available to these people in their everyday lives. In the past, we have talked about guys like DeMar DeRozan, Kevin Love, and what they've done in the NBA and how they've come out 100%. and talked about mental health. And that's that's how it starts. You know, we need guys who who are well-known, who people respect, having this conversation that other people can look at it and say like, hey, okay, if I'm feeling the same way, these guys can talk about it, I can talk about it. And at one point, the NBA was like non-existent in terms of discussion of mental health. It was never brought up and it was never discussed. And DeMar was basically the first person that sort of brought up. He goes, yeah, I go through struggles. Yeah, I'm a millionaire. I play the, the sport that I love throughout my whole life. Yet I'm still struggling through the same issues that everybody else is going through. Bring up a great point talking about the money because people mm -hmm. think, oh, money is happiness or money. money. You can afford to do this and do that. And like all money can all money does is give you the ability to afford to be the person that you that you want to be. Mm -hmm. Now, who do you want to be? That's a choice that you have to make, right? Now, obviously there's things that are bigger than a choice where you have mental health struggles. Money's not going to just you don't throw money at that problem. So, don't sit there and be like, "Oh, they're ungrateful or this or that." And like when guys are opening up on Players Tribune or opening up on these different outlets where they're just just showcasing who they are as a person, 
puts an emphasis on the name on the back of the jersey. It does, and 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 it takes it away from the the crest and the logo on the front. And right. I think that's one of the most important things that we have in today's like social media landscape and media landscape in general because they're both al- amalgamated at this point. And I think at the end of the day, I'm very thankful we live in the day and time where toxic masculinity isn't is is slowly and fading into the minority disposition. And I think that's it's so important for us to re renew our minds and 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 think and think differently about the same topics that have existed throughout all of humanity. Yeah. And I think it's so important to hear different types of men speak on their stories and I want to move on and hear more stories. My name is Alex Pimentel and this is my sports story. So I guess before I get into my story, we should probably explain a little what it is we're doing here with this fourth guest and sharing their story, if you guys want to go into that. So yep. with our round table, it's always going to be the set host. So Jonas, myself, Lala, and Michael. And we have such a great team here with Foundations for Opportunities. Every round table, we're going to have one of our team members come in and talk about their sports story. This week, we're really lucky to have our executive producer, Alex. I'm really excited to hear your story. Yeah, all right. So... For me, my story with sport and Foundations for Opportunity starts with me being a first-gen Canadian. My mother's from Brazil. My father's from Portugal. Two pretty big sport countries, uh, especially with soccer. Yeah. Um, volleyball is massive in Brazil. But they came here, and you know their goal coming here was to to give us a better life. That that's what they're living towards. You know, it's hard for us, like if you are like a a child of an immigrant, it's hard to maybe even grasp that a little until you maybe get a little older, more mature, and you have kids of your own. But to really understand, like, okay, they moved their whole lives for for me, you know, like I don't like that's a crazy sacrifice to think about. So it wasn't easy, like growing up. Yeah. Like I love my home, love my family, so much support. They're awesome. I was never able to play competitive sports financially. I just don't. It, it just wasn't in the cards for us. That never stopped me. I love sports. It was my passion. So I played recreationally. I played on the streets. Luckily, I had a neighborhood where like a bunch of kids were all my age and they're all like my best friends still today. So we would go out, we would play street hockey, we would be bring out the basketball nets, we would go to the park, we would we would play baseball in a parking lot, which in my in hindsight <laughs> Oh, that's not the what? smartest idea, not a- <laughs> is is crazy. Yeah, no, we would legit like we there was a couple of times where some headlights would come out and like oh, yeah, so it wasn't an empty parking lot. No, no, no. Like oh, the, yeah, okay. And, <laughs> like you know how like when you play street hockey and it's like the cars coming by, and you're like, all right, car, and you move the nets. Yeah. This was us in the parking lot. So cars would be turning into the parking lot and we would be moving the nets and they would be like, okay, hold on, I'm really about to park here where these kids are using this parking lot as like oh, a hockey no ring. Way. Were you guys using actual baseballs? What? Like actual baseballs or like we're using ten- tennis ball. If we used actual baseball, we would have we would have broken a lot of cars. <laughs> we were young too though, so like we weren't hitting that hard. But yeah. still you guys as kids you're probably reckless. <laughs> like to us back then it was like why like why should anyone care? Like it's not a big deal. And now now that I like drive, I'm like, okay, whoa. <laughs> I if that was I would not yeah want to park my car if I see a bunch of kids playing baseball. I definitely wouldn't have <laughs> so, some of Some headlights would have got bust up. <laughs> the reality with me in sport, though, is that, like, I was never athletic either. I'm still not athletic. I've seen you take a jump shot. <laughs> he's got he's got some athleticism in him, man. His jump shot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> did you not play on any high school teams? I did not play on any high school teams. I played on my grade 8 soccer team. Wow, you had a soccer team in elementary school? Yeah. My school didn't have that. Did you guys win anything? Yeah, we actually were champions. Let's go. What, posi- what position did you play? Uh, okay, so... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. You, you uh, bench. <laughs> did you play? Um, <laughs> okay. That's a better question. 
<laughs> so we had two tournaments and we had two coaches. So one coach was really nice. The other coach, not to say he wasn't nice, but he didn't get to know his players as well. And he was thinking more winning. Okay. So this one, the first tournament was with this one coach and he was really focused on winning. So I never saw that. I saw the field one game because we were up like four nothing and I was a defender. That's where they stuck me. And I was really slow. <laughs> I'm I'm really slow. I have no endurance. Yeah, go ahead and play some soccer. Then. So um, the first coach, um, one game, he was like, you're going to hop in at center mid. And I'm like, whoa. Oh, wow. They're asking you to go center mid, eh? That was the only game I played that tournament. Second tournament, coach was like, no, I want my I want everyone to play in every game. Wow. And I, like, and I was like, all right, cool. So I played and we won. And that was a good tournament. So that's pretty much the extent of me playing sports. Where I find my passion was doing this in sport media. The moment I could talk... I remember saying I want to be like a commentator, and that's what my family always said. They're like, "Oh, you're gonna you're gonna be a commentator. You're gonna talk about sports. You're gonna do this." My whole life, I was like, "Yeah, like that's that's what I want to do." I didn't know how realistic that was, but you know, when you follow a dream, you follow a passion, like we're doing with this project, especially we're following a passion, and you know, sometimes just good things happen when you when you really try and and you know, you find out that you really love what you're doing. So, uh, I heard about sport media. When I was in like grade nine, I forget what year it was, maybe like grade nine or oh, ten. I got it early. Well, the sports there like released an article once it was first announced, and I read this and I was like, yes, nice. Okay, I always thought I was gonna break through in the sport media industry. Do you guys know the show Drafted on the Score? Yeah. Gillette Drafted. Jackie Redman, uh, she was she was a winner of that show, so that's how she got her. Wow. Her... Yeah. So uh, when that show first came out, I was like, this is my end. <laughs> I'm gonna go on this show when I'm old enough because I was young when this show came. Out. I was like maybe like it was on the score or so. like like 13 when the show came. Out. I was on the score, yeah. And then Sports 360 had it for one year on the turn when it changed over, and that was it. That was the end of the show. But I was like, that's my end. And then I saw realistically that wasn't my end. But I saw the sport media program came out. And I'm like, okay, yeah, like I want to do this. And then one thing led to another. I didn't think I was gonna get in. Um, I I submitted some things late and. Fortunately enough for me, they, they believed in whatever I brought to the table. And I'm so grateful to be here. And I'm grateful to be telling stories like this. Like, I believe that everyone should have an equal opportunity to support. Regardless, like for me, it might have been like financial reasons and my social class and, and, and where you come from. But there's so many other barriers to, to opportunity in sport, like race, like abuse, like we talked about with Theo. That, and we're going to cover a lot of these themes on this series of podcasts. And, you know, I look forward to that and and... And I'm I'm just excited. We're glad to have you here, man. Like honestly, this is a, it's 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 a the long list of coincidence and serendipity as to why mm-hmm. we're all in this room together. And I think we're we're a powerful team. Everyone here in front of the cameras and behind the scenes. This is a very special moment for us to get together. And uh, what I'm thinking is, uh, I got something to say right you now. Got you, know? say, got, you got something to say, Mike? I got I'll mention. Something to say. I got something to say. This is the caller. What? This is Michael Mayers, and I'm calling you out. All right, all right, all right. We're going to do the call out right here. This is where I give foundations for opportunity. Uh, well, places where I find things. Sometimes it's going to be things where I'm seeing people are unjustly being treated, and sometimes they're going to be sounding off on great opportunities. Today, we're going to be talking about the Fair Pay to Play Act. Now, California Governor Gavin Newsom officially signed this act into law. The signing occurred, obviously, I'm sure you guys saw, in the Los Angeles Barbershop associated with LeBron James on his HBO show, Uninterrupted, The Shop. 
Now, obviously, with both James and Ed O'Bannon uh, seated alongside, California became the first state in the country to create a legal right for college athletes to be compensated for the commercial use of their identities. The act authorizes college students to hire agents and other, represent uh, upper, other representatives to assist them in negotiating, securing commercial opportunities. But furthermore, now the California schools can go and negotiate with video game companies. Hey, who who here likes some NCAA basketball? That was a staple. I mean, they can also be paid to sponsor summer camps for young athletes. Why wouldn't you want to be paid to sponsor some young athletes who might be and sign endorsement deals with apparel companies, sports beverages, car dealerships, and numerous other businesses that would pay for an athlete's public stamp of approval? Now, I want to reiterate one thing very clearly. College athletes now finally have the legal right to be compensated for commercial use of their identities. So we live in a time where, in, finally, in 2023, collegiate athletes can make money off their own likenesses. So I offer you this question. Is it against NCAA policy for band members to sign a record deal? Uh, compensation for being the driving force behind a multi-billion dollar industry seems like something that shouldn't come across as far-fetched in our capitalist-driven society. Uh, beyond the tardy nature of this new act is this. Fair pay to play inherently is a misleading title. This is something I really want to drive home here. The, the universities and colleges aren't being asked to pay the students. They're being offered the inalienable, inalienable right that every other person who's a part of this society is, is able to do, make money off their own likeness. Now, the days of the sham that is the NCAA existing as a non-for-profit organization are, are drawing near to, to an end with good reason. Uh, NCAA brass are saying that this new bill at its core is unconstitutional, which I find particularly ironic. Now, this act lays the foundation for opportunity for a brave new world in collegiate sports, and the fallout from this callout is truly a game changer. And as for the NCAA's current structure, well, your days are numbered. Looking back at the week that was, this is the Sports News Rewind. I want to talk about what you just talked about. Yeah, let's let's unpack it a little bit more. Let's unpack that. I have so much to say about this from the female student athlete Beautiful. perspective. That's exactly but what we first, need. I just want to get into it. So you brought up how athletes, they profit off of their name. They can profit off of their name, right. image, and likeness. Right. Those three. Right. This is not. This is crazy. I mean, the bill won't go into effect until 2023. 2023 right? And you know the NCAA is going to be fighting it every step Fight. of the way. They're going to do everything they but can to only keep California. that straight. Right. This is California that's done it. And Florida is also flirting with trying to implement it as soon as 2020, which I think is a little bit difficult and unrealistic. But there are other states that will try to follow suit with this Ed O'Bannon rule, as they're calling it. Can I just clarify with Michael that your, your, your issues with this are strictly with the NCAA, right? Like, my like issue like, is the NCAA, be, like, basically, the, the fact that it took this long is one issue. Like, mm -hmm. I don't like the fact that it took this long to make this happen. But my issue is with the NCAA going and saying, oh, well, we don't want to create a black market. We don't want to, like, what are you talking about? You, this is exactly what you've been doing for the for an entire time. You have a monopoly over a non-for-profit organization moniker. Meanwhile, you're bringing in billions of dollars during the month of March alone. Something that companies wish they were able to do. So obviously the NCAA at its core, this isn't the, this isn't breaking news, is rather like corrupt. Let's call it what it is. And the fact that these athletes weren't able to go and 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 
make some money. Yet you have to go buy those Nikes if the school's sponsored by Nike and put those shoes on, even though you can't afford it. Oh, you're getting you're getting you you can't afford to live somewhere. I heard a, a student that like was staying at another person's house, just staying there. They weren't being paid. And then the athletes said, pr provide proof that you aren't getting paid and force the, and kick the student out of the school. What is that? It, it's just totalitarianism over top of uh, uh, of collegiate athletics, which are up to this point where we're like the only real major segue into something like the NFL and the NBA, which are two sports that make the most money for the NCAA. So my issues, many, many facets of it, but I, it, succinctly, NCAA needs to understand that this is the beginning of the end of your like rule the way that it was for way way too long this was opened up in the first place as a non-for-profit in the 50s and they just kept the same model since that's just dangerous just to jump in here would if you were the ncaa though yeah would you not try to hold on to it as long as you can like is it not up to the the people us the people viewing it that see the the problem with it to to try to change it because if you had all that money and all that power would you really try to take take a step back from that well at this point it's like old money <laughs> and at, at this at this point you like how much money is ever really enough and for a non-for-profit to focus on their profits it's kind of weird right you'd think that you'd be if you're there to support the students why are you there chastising the students it's just whose corner are you really in and who are you serving and like that's been my biggest but obviously as a profit maximization in a capitalist society if they didn't say they were a non-for-profit then i would be like okay well you're running your business how you want the fact you're not you're getting tax breaks you're doing all these things but you're clearly making billions of dollars this is the biggest sham i don't know how it even made it this far honestly i don't know how it made it this far um coach k from duke actually yep. he loves it. yes he loves it he said that um quote we need to stay current with what's happening i'm glad the fair pay to play act was passed because it pushes the envelope it pushes the issue, unquote. I'm surprised he's saying that, though, because if it passed in California, now what's it's, is it more likely for a guy to be like, yeah, I'm going to go to UCLA. Absolutely. As to and that's one of the fallouts as well. It's like now our students going to be transferring on math. Tim Tebow brought this up on uh, First Take a couple weeks, uh, like a week ago, I should say, when this first came out. He was saying, like, what are athletes going to do now? They're going to just start clamoring to switch states that they, that they, that they play in. Well... If they're clamoring to switch states so that they can make a couple dollars off their own name, then it kind of tells you where the students stand on uh, this issue exactly. and why it should be widespread across the board. That like, it hurts them. These, I don't think that once yeah. this happens, if it happens, um, once it's implemented, and obviously 2023, there's a lot of time between now and then, so things could change with this act. This is not. If this, this is going to happen you know. anyway, I get to the NCAA. I can see the NCAA stepping in and saying, like, okay, let's make this a thing across right. across the NCAA because we have no choice. Adapt or if, die. That's yeah. the crossroads they're at. It's adapt or die. The same way that traditional taxis didn't implement like uh, user friendly, app friendly mm -hmm. type of thing, and then they get replaced by an Uber. This is the same thing. It's like if you don't adapt, you will perish. It's that's the, it's, that's just the nature of how humanity has survived all these millennia. Right. The bill's co-sponsor, State Senator Nancy Skinner, I loved this quote that she said. She said, college is the primary time when the spot spotlight is on. For women, this might be the only time that they could actually make some dollars, make money. Right. I love and this angle. I was reading an article about this, and someone brought up Caitlin Ohashi, who was the UCLA gymnast. She scored a perfect 10. She could have made some serious money oh. off of this. The The article I wrote, I read, said she could have gone back to her hometown. She could have like put on a camp for young gymnasts. She could have just accepted awards. The only thing she got was an ESPY. 
which which like, is I don't know if I don't know if there's any money there's no that comes along it's with the honor SB, right? it's just yeah, the SB award yeah, it's just an SB, she could have made some serious money off of this and that's just one example of many female athletes and if you think about it from like a structural standpoint paying them to sponsor a summer camp might actually incentivize other those people inspired to come to that university exactly and like i mean that's exp now if you have the next person to get that perfect 10 who says i want to follow in her footsteps and go where they empower somebody to be able to do that don't you think you're attracting a, a type of attention that is non-monetary on its surface but in the end can be parlayed if you wanted to turn it into profit like there's avenues other than there's other there's avenues other than just being like oh these athletes are getting paid first i want to really drive something home again these universities aren't being asked to pay out of pocket to these students. It's literally just let them use their own name and likeness to make some money for themselves. These are students that are getting on a full ride scholarship. You're like, that's enough. That's enough. How much education do you think you really have time to go and do when you are a division one athlete in basketball or football? Like you are like, you're the star quarterback. You're the star wide receiver. You're a star center. You're a star point guard. How much time do you really have to go spend in class when you're the person who's driving the success for that, for that franchise? Especially when sometimes you don't have enough money for food. Right. So you can't focus in class because you're hungry and you're thinking about where am I going to get my next meal from? If I just score, have a huge win, me and my teammates can't go to the local pizza shop, like Alex was talking about earlier, and they can't give us a pizza because we won, because we can't accept that free free pizza. True, and and you guys you guys actually make a good segue in terms of like struggling to 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 get food and like you know that that in terms of survival. I think that sort of leads really good into the, the next story that we're going to talk about in terms of we shared this on our Instagram on our on our Instagram profile, but there was this fourteen year old boy by the name of Surya Prakash. And he actually trained 15 hours a day in, in hopes of potentially making it onto the cricket national team. Yeah. There's 15. Yeah, 15 hours a day. There's 24 hours in a day. Exactly. So, so it, it just speaks to his dedication and his love for the sport. But then at 11, 11? he dropped out of school and he became a child laborer. So, it, so his his story is absolutely insane, and it happens a lot in in, in where he's in, from. His, he's from Pakistan, so it happens a lot in that region. And then he was actually rescued by this terrific nonprofit organization. It's uh, by the name of Curran Ayala, and then it's a it's a nonprofit nonprofit organization that works in Pakistan that tries to get kids out of these out of these uh, terrible situations and helps them get into sports. And they actually allowed him to live out his dream and now he's actually on the national cricket team what a story. Under, the under 18 team and it just speaks to how just how old is he now he is i believe he's 17 he's wow. 17 now so it just i think it just speaks to the foundations and just the opportunities that sports provides people from all over the world it, either here in north america or there in asia it just i think it's it's a wonderful story and actually right. a, another terrific story is uh the in actually a couple of days ago uh a minnesota twins pitcher uh by the name of uh he was actually Randy Dobnik. So he was an Uber driver just last year and was found out by one of the Minnesota Twins scoutings, scouters on YouTube, just wow, off yeah. YouTube. They saw that he threw 95, 96 miles per hour and they're like, yo, man, come over. Right. We want to give you a contract. He's only, he only got paid $2,000, but man, he, he literally started an MLB playoff game in New York. That's amazing. What? The opportunity that sports provide you, it's, it's universal. And I think it just... It, it's one of the reasons that why we all love sports so much. So I think the fact that this dude was an Uber driver literally less than two years ago and now is an MLB starter against one of the best teams and one of the most legendary diamonds ballparks in all of the world, I think it speaks to the lengths that sports can take you. And that's the thing is like uh, 
<laughs> what I love is that you pointed out like discovery through a YouTube ch- a, a YouTube video or just uh, like a non for profit actually going and helping people and like and and leaving their mark like. This comes to show anybody out there listening that might think, you know, oh, like I might have some talent, but how are people going to see me? Like that is one of the biggest things too, is like finding a platform to display who you are and put on. We're doing that right now as we're talking into these mics, showcasing who we are, our critical thought, our ability to look at and analyze these situations and come to conclusions. Well, other people in sport, whether they be playing or want to be in the front office or be a coach or whatever, what have you, however you want to be involved in sport. There's if you do the due diligence, you can try to find ways to get put put yourself out there. And what's most inspiring is that other places will find ways to find you. And I think that's really something important that we can drive home is in terms of laying the foundation for yourself and where you want to see yourself. Don't let anyone tell you what, what your what your ceiling is. My great great aunt always told me one thing. She said, "Your attitude determines your altitude." And if you have the right attitude about things, the 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 sky's the limit. Mm-hmm. Hell, the moon's the limit. The stars are the limit. So you choose your own path in that way. Don't let people tell you who you are or what you can be or where your ceiling is. Like that's really important. I love the fact that we were able to highlight some of these uh, opportunities uh, that were laid out. Exactly. Don't tell me the sky's the limit when there are footsteps on the moon, right? Hey, I love it. I love it. We always say sport is recession proof. Right. You know, it's there when you need an outlet. It's there when you need... It can be a great escape. A great escape. And it's there to have fun. Meet people. And everyone deserves to experience that. Exactly. I love sports. I love what it's brought for all of us. And sport brought all of us together. I, I have to agree with you 100%. I just love... I have such passion talking about what we're talking about here. I love the fact that we get to do that. But unfortunately, we got to bring this round table to a close. Yeah, I'm just happy to say that uh, I got the chance to come on here, share my story. I'm excited to hear everyone else in the group come on here and... And share stories. We're learning all about you guys as we go throughout the podcast. So it'll be lots of fun to hear uh, what everyone else has to say as well. We'd love to have you on. I couldn't have put it better myself. And then on behalf of me and the rest of the team, I'm Michael here with Lala, Jonas, and Alex, our executive producer. Uh, that's all from us for this roundtable. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, we'll catch you guys on the next one. All right? Peace. Next week, we have TSN anchor Kayla Gray on. You can follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Kayla underscore Gray. And after that, we have Rex Kalamian, assistant coach of the LA Clippers, joining us. And if you want more from Foundations for Opportunities, you can follow us at FFO Productions on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We look forward to engaging with each and every one of you.